You survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and subscribing to The Urban Shooter. This week on The Urban Shooter, is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Talking about the summer, food, and love. Question of the week. How do you tell a woman that you're carrying concealed or you're into the gun thing? I got a few opinions and their own voices for you. Bones Hooks brings us some jazz. In the news, Kim Road still winning. And there's an NRA woman on target instructional shooting clinic, October 2nd, 2010. And there's zombie strike. All this and a whole lot of love coming up for you next. Crossbreedholsters.com presents the Urban Shooter Podcast. Thank God for an expert. The weekly pro gun variety show featuring the internationally known black man with a gun. Your friend and brother from a different mother. That's what I call a close encounter. Ken Blanchard. Love it. That is a star. You're going to love it. It's a classic. This week on show number 178. Going to go nice and slow and easy and mellow like a hot, hot summer. Like we're in right now. Summertime. Smoothie time. Man, everybody's selling smoothies. Remember when before we had smoothies? When I was a kid, we had freeze cups. Remember those things, that frozen sugar? Little Dixie cup colored with a dab of Kool-Aid. It cost only a nickel. It was the greatest thing ever. And if you had that and a pair of Converse All-Stars... Man, you were the man. Chuck Taylors. You could run faster, jump higher, and play ball better than anybody in your neighborhood. Or until the sugar wore off. My mom always made sure I had one before bed, so when the sugar wore off, I'd go into a coma. Anyway, reminds me of this, because it's summertime. And we'll get right back to all of this after John Wayne gives us our Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. This is Jens from Germany and you are listening to the Urban Shooter Podcast with my friend and brother, Ken Blanchard. Thanks, my German brother. Shout out to Xavier in France, to Martin in South Africa, Talon, my little buddy and the guitar superstar to be. Shout out also to my dad and my son. Thanks, fellas, for a great weekend. Sending out some love to Doc, Kelly, Suzanne, Gail, Moss, Steve, Mike, Michael, Papa Yost, Reese, Mick and Erica, Paul and Andrea, Phil and Fausto, my brothers and sisters of the Thin Blue Line. You in Afghanistan. The guys in San Diego. The gang in Diego Garcia. And you in Iraq. You on base. And you right here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Shout out to you and to Wayne and to David and to Ben and Arthur, Jane, Shadrach, Megan, Kyra, Mabu, Big Ron, Douglas, Jason, and Chris. Carrie and Mark. I haven't forgot about you guys either. Shout out to April and Tina, Layla, Nancy, Jasmine, Carolyn, and Tiffany for their contributions coming up soon. Thank you for everything you guys have done for me this week and in my life. 
This is the Pro Gun Variety Show. It's going to feature some news and some interviews, usually and even some how-tos. It's just about anything I can think of that's good enough to pass on. I'm your friend and brother from a different mother, a pastor, an author, an activist, a producer, a husband, a father, and a host. And my name is Ken Blanchard. If you want to reach me, you can call me toll-free, 888-675-0202. Leave a message anytime. You can just call me and say, yo, or email me, ken at urbanshooterpodcast.com or blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. It's just that easy. Episode 178. No, I'm house is pretty quiet, which is not a good thing sometimes because my mind can start to drift. Remember, I was once on this protective detail near the China Sea, and our principal had just made an unannounced pit stop at this little cantina. So I got out of the car and was just standing there waiting for our guy and man in the hot seat to return. It was a nice place, picturesque, but I think it was a whorehouse if it wasn't just a club. And that revelation came to me as I watched numbers of men exit with women that could have been supermodels anywhere else in the world. A few minutes passed and the word must have gotten out that some Americans were in and outside the club. And that was kind of hard to keep a secret with three vehicles parked outside with two guys with earpieces standing outside them and the car still running. A partner watching my back as always, he saw her first. She was coming straight at me from the side and this is how it usually happens some diversion so I was waiting for the bullet to hit me in the head somewhere that's how it happens you know but nothing changed there was still traffic on the street still people coming in and out of the club so if I was in the crosshairs of somebody it had to be up close she kept coming I'm looking everywhere But being around men all day, I caught the scent of her as if I was a caged animal. She kept coming. She was about five foot tall and built like a sister. And brothers, you know what I'm talking about there. She was maybe 22, had jet black hair, pouty red lips that matched her dress, and she kept coming. I watched the door, I watched the trees, I watched the cars that passed, nothing. And she kept coming. You know, that floral perfume she was wearing was kind of nice. The sound of the disco blast every time the club door opened up. I was getting antsy. We should be rolling. When she got close enough, I saw what I had been missing. I heard a double click in my ear from the radio. And that was my partner telling me that he was still watching my back. The Filipina said I looked like somebody she knew back in the U.S. and just hand me her card and turned around and walked away. I said, thanks. She said, sorry to bother you while you're working. And I just said, thanks again. And she catwalked back inside the club. Definitely built like a sister. Brothers, I lost my mojo. I was gone. And then I heard it in my ear, and this reminds me of today. My buddy, who had been watching my back, 
or I'm forgotten totally it was back there because of the visage that I saw in front of me. Sit over the microphone. Is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Love. I'm a fan of love. I still cry doing a love scene. Yeah, I admit it. And that's why I've officiated at about 14 weddings so far in my young ministerial life. I really like doing it. I've had the pleasure of doing weddings before a couple of storms, a hurricane, on a sailboat in Annapolis, Maryland, on a beach in the Bahamas, on board a carnival cruise line, in a big church, in a little church, and just in front of a few friends. And before I was in ministry, I think I was the best man about seven times. Now, after 20 years of marriage, folks actually ask me and the missus for counseling sometime. And we give it to them straight. We're pretty blunt, actually. My wife is like straight, no chaser. No, marriage itself is not for wimps. And you got to hold on to something bigger than the world to make it. I appreciate the couples that I know. I want you to know that I pray for you to stay together in this world. Speaking of love, love is the is ultimately why you carry a gun, isn't it? Your love life. Or you love life. Yeah, that's it. And you want the ability to protect it. Right. You love your family and you can do a better job with the right tool. Right. Love of the country is why you submit yourself to all the abuse, the scrutiny, and the loss of freedom for a background check, ID card, and all the stuff that states tack on just to carry legally. Right. Love of freedom. I just want you to remember that when somebody asks you and they really don't want to hear your answer about tyranny, Hitler, the U.S. Constitution, or the National Rifle Association, tell them the reason you carry a gun is love. Who can argue with love? You love and respect life. I love summer rainstorms, motorcycles, muscle cars, banana and strawberry smoothies, fresh air, the ocean, mellow anything, wine, cigars, people. I love pancakes and North Carolina style barbecue. Or well-cooked smoked open pit pork rib. I wouldn't mind that either by right now. How about those ice things we used to eat as kids that came in those foot-long sticks of clear plastic? I love the blue ones, actually. I love blues, music, jazz, folk, country, rhythm, and blues. As long as your passion translates in a way I can feel it, I'm digging it. I love people that have respect for other people, people that love to be respected, people who love their country. I like, I love my country. I love people that love God. I love my family. And even though you can't pick them like I picked you, I appreciate you listening to me every week. Or if you just found me now, you are my network. Yeah, you. You are my VIP. You are my extended, unrelated family. And I appreciate you. The Minister of Defense, the pastor of Paladins, Patriots, and Pistoleros will be right back after these commercials. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. 
We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, crossbreedholsters.com. Attention Glock owners. Ready to dress up your Glock for performance or fun? Check out AmericanGunWorks.com. Steel targets, Glock products, tools, and more at AmericanGunWorks.com. And check out UrbanShooterPodcast.com for your private coupon code so that you can save at AmericanGunWorks.com. Gun Rights Radio Network has the best pro-Second Amendment, pro-gun rights podcast available on the net. The podcasts are absolutely free when subscribing using iTunes or Zoom Marketplace. Or if you want, you can just listen from the website. Make sure you visit GunRightsRadio.com to subscribe. Podcasting freedom, one episode at a time. Your eyes are priceless. Don't settle for less than ESS iPro. Advanced eye protection systems for military, law enforcement, and fire rescue professionals. Protect your eyes and look good doing it. Designed to take on the planet's most hostile and unforgiving environments. Featuring cutting-edge technologies, patented innovations for peak performance, and uncompromised eye safety. ESSIPro.com Tell them Ken Blanchard sent you. ESSIPro.com What do I use at the shotgun range? Federal premium ammunition, because every shot counts. And now, back to the man who's packing more than a browning. Question of the week. Speaking of love, I got an email here from an urban shooter that asked me, how should he handle dating as a concealed carry guy? How does he bring up the gun issue? His belief and all that we take for granted listening to tech, sports, and pro-gun podcasts like we do. Well, bro, you asked the right guy. I am all about love this week. But before I answer, let me let a few of the ladies answer first. Layla says, if I may comment here, haven't been single for almost five years and happy. And even more happy than I did not turn him down when I found out about the subject you're talking about. Guns. I did think he was a weird in that way, but that was not a decisive aspect at the time. From the past perspective, the suggestions I would make are don't mention it immediately or even wait till second or third date. So you would have to carry concealed or not carry, depending on the situation. There are also potential safety issues with telling a person you just met that you have a loaded gun with you. Come out from a different angle. Ask her if she's heard about XYZ, gun rights organization, or if she would like to go with you to a meeting or event that relates to Second Amendment, and then take her reaction as an indicator of her views. If you got an anti or undecided person, take it easy. Don't hurry her to change your mind. That would just freak her out and ruin your chances of winning her to our side. All right. Nancy said, number one, Would you date a guy that is pro-gun and carrying a concealed firearm? If not, why? That's the only, she writes in big letters, that's the only kind of guy I'll date. Or what if I wasn't already married to a gun nut? LOL. Number two, how does a guy that is carrying a gun on his hip legally 
tell you that he is without freaking you out, if it does. She says, honey, I'm willing and able to stand up and defend you if I have to. What a man. Any guy who isn't is a wuss and not worth messing with, period. Now, how about that? And now, let me present to you three beautiful Urban Shooter listeners. Hi, this is Tiffany, and I'm calling about the questions posted about dating a guy that's carrying a concealed firearm legally. There shouldn't be a problem dating him um, unless, of course, there seems to be issues with him. If he's a bit too aggressive or seems unstable, I probably wouldn't want to date him, whether it's legal or not legal. And how could you tell me without it being a problem? I would think beforehand, before even picking me up, letting me know your license to carry, and this is why you carry. You generally carry when you go out. Would it be a problem? And having it presented that way, it shouldn't be a problem. Thank you, Tiffany. And now, Carolyn. Hi, Ken. This is Carolyn. I wanted to respond to the uh, questions that you posed about uh, an individual. Um, would I date an individual uh, carrying a firearm? And the answer would be yes. I actually dated a, a police officer um, in the past, and I didn't mind his firearm one bit. And um, actually, if it wasn't a police officer and someone um, was legally able to carry a firearm, um, I think just for him to come right out and say that he is authorized or legally uh, able to carry one would be fine. But if he felt like he had something to prove or I didn't think that he could handle uh, carrying a gun, um, then I might have an issue. If he was um, arrogant and cocky and, you know, wanted to be like Superman all the time, um, then I might have a problem because I wouldn't know how he would want to use it. But I would say, um, truthfully... um Darn that technology. We just lost Carolyn. But thanks, Carolyn. And here's Jasmine. Hi, Ken. This is Jasmine. Huge fan of your podcast. And uh, my computer's been on the press for like a couple weeks, so I haven't been able to download uh, your recent podcast. But I was on um, I was on Facebook on my BlackBerry, and I saw that you posted questions for single women regarding single men uh, who carry uh, concealed. Um, I live in the state of Connecticut, and here in Connecticut, you can only carry concealed. So... Um, you know, it's not like I would be able to see if someone is, is actually carrying. But um, how to approach it, luckily, um, I think because I also own a firearm and oftentimes they do, well, yeah, sometimes they do carry um, when I'm just out and about. I, I think uh, the, the ways that I brought it up is uh, luckily there's a lot of, I mean, no matter where you are, there's a gun issue or, you know, within the last, couple days or sometimes a couple weeks so and we lost jasmine as well must be the time limit on the audio but thank you ladies very very much and thank you for listening to the urban shooter podcast you're my faves right now love you and now your brother's comments on the question of the week no matter what you look like people are people i've seen trolls marry supermodels if that's your thing and I've seen the results of two but ugly people who had really good kids because the love inside of them was better than the looks of them on the outside. And that's what really counts, your insides. If you want to find love, true love, be truthful, be passionate and compassionate. 
take the time to listen and you'll hear the answer you're looking for. You know, actually you're nobody till somebody loves you. You're nobody till somebody loves you. You're nobody till somebody cares. You may be king. You may possess the world and its gold. But gold won't bring you happiness when you're growing old. The world's still the same. You'll never change it. As sure as the stars shine above You're nobody till somebody loves you So find yourself somebody to love Somebody love you So find yourself somebody to love <laughs> Now here's the part where we take off the tuxedo and the bow tie And we head to the news center This is Urban Shooter News, Ken Blanchard reporting. National Rifle Association Women on Target Instructional Shooting Clinic, October 2nd, 2010. Where? Black Creek Shooters Association, 4292 Range Road, Mechanicsville, Virginia, located on the Black Powder and Trap Ranges. That's Saturday, October 2nd, 8.30 a.m., rain or shine. Limited to the first 75 ladies, 18 and over. And there's a full schedule. And if you want to know about it for sure, there is the whole thing on the show notes for 178 on the urbanshooterpodcast.com. The contact is Michelle Brown. Only 25 slots open at this time, so sign up now before it's too late. Deadline, September 30th, 2010 for registration. Also in the news, Kim Rhodes, our friend, Olympic shooter Kim Rhodes, just kicked some major tail and is now, in dramatic fashion, has accomplished a handful of things at the International Shooting Sports Federation World Championships. So now, Rhodes just won the World Championship title by shooting an overall score of 97%. In addition, she won an all-important quota slot for the USA Olympic shooting team for the 2012 London Olympic Games. In addition, Rhodes and her teammates, Haley Dunn and Amber English, won the International Skeet Team gold medal 
with her World Cup wins in Acapulco and Beijing and this World Championship in Munich, she has now surpassed a threshold of 45 points which is required to qualify for the 2012 London Olympic Games. Rode now has 53 points and a commanding lead in the race to earn the right to represent the U.S. in these upcoming games. 2010 has been another watershed year for the four-time USA Olympic medalist. Last month, Rode won. Yeah, Rode won the U.S. Nationals in international skeet and is currently ranked number one in the world. I'm so glad to call her an urban shooter listener as well. You go, girl. Bust them clays. USA, baby. All the way. This has been Ken Blanchard from the Urban Shooter News. This is the Urban Shooter Tip of the Week for Episode 178, How to Remove a Tick. You know, like a deer tick that you can catch while you're out eating barbecue at somebody's house. Number one, place the tip of the tweezers where the tick entered the skin. See, you're going to need some tweezers. Using a slow, steady motion, pull the tick away from the skin. Don't jerk it, don't crush, don't squeeze, and don't puncture the tick because those pathogens from the tick can get into the wound. Number two, if no tweezers are available, use the nails of your index finger and thumb. And if you don't have any nails, find somebody that does. Avoid touching the tick with your skin. Use two credit cards as tweezers as an alternate. Now, if you fail at this too, it's better to remove the tick with bare fingers than to leave it attached. Number three, immediately disinfect the area around the bite with soap and water, alcohol, or antibacterial ointment. Neosporin cures cancer. Number four, and finally, place the tick in a container. Include a lightly moistened paper towel. Take the tick to a health department to determine if it's carrying Lyme disease or something worse. If you can do all that. If not, just destroy the booger. All right, and that's your how to remove a tick and your tip of the week. Last week on Zombie Strike, they were in Mexico City. It was the 28th of June. It was 0430 hours. And uh, countdown was like one year, five months, and two days. Jessica Montgomery woke up to being in the arms of her lover boy, Billy, who both had been captured and stuck into a dungeon. Right when things got really, really bad, they found a way out. Attacked the minions that were sent to retrieve them for a big whoop de doo they kicked some serious zombie strike, but took out the two minions and made their way up to the main floor. When they got up there, they found out that it was all part of Giant or Mikhail's big plan. He was going to use them in some kind of ritual sacrifice or something. Their killing the minions and escaping was all part of the, the deal. Crazy world this is. But before things could get too bad, a giant explosion rocked the place. And Daddy arrives. Mateo and the Zombie Strike Team Force arrive. That takes us to this week's episode. 
episode 39 of Zombie Strike. This is Zombie Strike. Mexico City, 28 June 2010. 05:15 hours local. Countdown. 1 year, 5 months, 2 days. Jessica Montgomery watched as Giant let Billy slip from his whip. The immense monster of a man looked almost offended by Mateo's challenge. The minions escorting Giant immediately fell behind their seven-foot-tall champion and brought up stubby assault rifles. Billy didn't even slow down to take a breath. As soon as the whip came off, Billy crouched and rolled next to Jess. The two sat in mirror crouches with their submachine guns aimed. Jess let out a predatory smile across her face. The zombie strike team stared down at their enemies. It was just a moment of a quiet and calm as the two forces measured each other. The picture of her foster father, her boyfriend, oh my God, he looked good, and her friends training weapons down on the four minions and giant seared itself into her mind. Without warning, the calm was broken. The Steve and Sport darted forward to Jess and Billy as the others opened. Jess felt the snaps of bullets as they streaked around her. Her mind immediately realized the actions. Recover under fire. Jess didn't have a chance to fire her own weapon before she felt the Steve jerk her back. By the hair, Jess gritted her teeth and tried to lessen the pain by scrambling backwards with the Steve. Sport was using Billy's drag handle, allowing Billy to cover the four's retreat. The Steve half-tossed, half-slid Jess behind Quentin. With the pain stopped, Jess could finally look at what was happening. Giant and the minions had fallen back into the room holding the key. Two of the minions were trading gunfire with zombie strike team. Bullets shattered the rock on the doorway and the sides of the hall. Jess frowned. The hallway was wide open. The only cover was the small bits of the wall from the team's entry and none of the team had been hit yet. Either the two minions weren't the professionals that captured Jess and Billy, or they were just delaying the team. Considering how the two were using the sides of the doorway, Jess was guessing the minions were just delaying the team. Delay wasn't something the team could afford. Fortunately, Quentin was gracious enough to have brought her rifle. Palisade 2, Jess yelled over the gunfire. Quentin dropped down to a kneeling crouch which was still almost as tall as Jess. As she unhooked her rifle, Slim fell in next to Quentin. The team hugged the walls of the hallway and stepped up the fire. She only needed a few seconds. Jess stood up behind Quentin and Slim, extending her rifle in one smooth motion. The sliver of the minion's face filled her scope. She applied just a bit of pressure. The hallway thundered with the sound of the rifle's rapport. The doorway was splattered with bone and blood. The assault rifle clattered to the floor. Jess was cycling the bolt when she realized the other minion had stopped firing. Illuminators ordered Mateo. Sport and the Steve were at the doorway tossing in the baseball-sized devices. As soon as the illuminators landed, their brilliant tiny lights lit up the room with sterile white light. In an eye blink, Sport, the Steve, Colin, and Mateo were inside the room. Billy leaped into the room and, the, and then jumped out of Jess's view. Her heart clenched as she clearly heard Billy's war whoop, followed by an unmistakable screech of a golem. Billy had found a target. Slim let Quentin and Jess into the room. Jess followed Quentin 
as he looked into the room. The room was almost exact replica of the room Zypi Totec had built when the zombie strike team confronted him over a year ago. Jess hadn't been part of the team then, but she recognized it from the file Mateo had made her study. This one was bigger, though. The room was maybe 100 feet wide and 200 foot long. The walls and floor glittered as the illuminator's light reflected off the white ceramic tiles. Running through the middle of the room was a trench maybe 40 feet wide. Three 10 feet wide stone bridges spanned the trench. On the other side of the trench in the center stood an obsidian obelisk decorated with Aztec carvings. Either that was the key or the key was inside it. Just heard the moans as soon as she entered the rooms. Easily 200 of the walking dead bore down on the team. Jess slung her rifle and drew her Kimber. Two zombies went down with single shots. Quentin opened up a bit of area with a long burst from his ZKC. Jess kept it open while the big man changed magazines. Jess shot a quick glance at her foster father. Mateo and the Steve were busy with another part of the horde. Sport was using one of the corpses as a shield as Colin traded gunfire with the minions. The minions were holding the rightmost bridge. Giant was already across and walking to the obelisk. Where was Billy? Jess did a Presidente drill across the front of the zombie horde. Eight shots, eight zombies down. Jess made a quick gauge of their situation as she fed another magazine into her Kimber. The team was already past the point of crush. They weren't putting down the zombies fast enough. The smart thing would be to retreat back into the hallway and use the doorway as a choke point. Maddie, we need to fall back, Colin said, echoing Jess's thoughts. We're about to be overrun. No, Mateo answered curtly as he dropped another pair of zombies. Maddie, we're past crush, Colin argued. No, Mateo answered with a cold, calm voice. Each member of the team knew that tone well. Mateo's rage was humming through him. If in anyone else, that rage would make him reckless. And Mateo, the rage focused him and strengthened him. Billy, finish playing around and get up here. Mateo ordered. Billy leaped up out of the trench. The golem jumped after him. Billy ruthlessly lashed out with a metal rod. The tip of the rod easily shattered the golem's medallion. Before the golem could screech in its protest, the rod crashed down on his head. Without its divine invulnerability, the golem's skull shattered easily. Without even a moment to enjoy his victory, Billy danced through the zombie horde. As Colin often said, the boy was magic. The, the diminutive Apache slipped through the gaps between the zombies, occasionally widening a gap with a savage strike from the metal rod. Billy slid around Quentin to stand next to Jess. He gave her a smug smile. She punched him in the arm before dropping a crawler that got a little too close to Billy. Billy grabbed a four block from the, from the Steve, Mateo ordered. As soon as you have it, get across the bridge and destroy the obelisk. Colin, keep those minions off our boy. The rest of us will fall back and form a line to cover your retreat. Billy grabbed a book-sized explosive from the Steve and stood next to Jess as he looked for his opening. Billy sprinted into the horde. As Billy leaped off the line, something primal took over Jess. She darted into the horde after Billy. Every instinct and bit of training screamed at her to stop and go back, but she couldn't. It was almost as if she was trapped in her own body. The horde of zombies blurred around Jess as she followed Billy through the walking dead. She could see what Billy saw every time he danced in to fight the zombies. Small gaps looked big enough to drive semi-trucks through. The zombies acted more like statues than animated corpses. 
They just couldn't move fast enough to catch her. Before she knew it, Jess was through the horde and charging the bridge. What was happening to her? As Billy neared the obelisk, Giant noticed the two zombie strike team members. The whip in his hand danced in anticipation. Billy shot into the air. Giant's eyes twinkled with amusement. Jess slid down on her knees and unslung her rifle. It wasn't an aimed shot, but the distance was less than 50 feet. The heavy 338 Lapool round slammed into Giant just as the whip lashed out at the airborne Billy. The whip's tasseled tip passed within scant inches of Billy. Jess smiled as she scrambled to her feet. Billy landed, rolled, and slapped the explosive at the base of the obelisk, the bomb's adhesive backing set with the strength of concrete. Giant and his team weren't getting that off anytime soon, not before Zombie Strike triggered it. Giant cracked his whip. The room shook with thunder, and a wave of force tossed Billy and Jess away from the obelisk. Her rifle slipped out of her hands. Jess watched helplessly as the weapon slid across the tiles and into the trench. Something flickered in the corner of her eye. Jess rolled to the side as Giant's whip cracked the tiles next to her. Billy sprang off the ground, kicked off the obelisk, and drove himself into Giant's midsection. The surprise blow knocked Giant off his feet. The two rolled across the tile floor. Billy stood up first. Jess, activate the block, Billy yelled. Jess scowled as she scampered to the bomb. She wasted precious seconds as her memory dug up how to activate the bomb. Her fingers danced across the buttons. Four, four, three, nine, seven. The readout blinked and a friendly lethal green light told her the bomb was active. Jess whirled to call Billy. It was time to go. Giant loomed over Jess. His dark eyes burned with a terrifying rage. Jess took a step back and felt the cold obsidian at her back. There was nowhere to run. Giant's arm snapped back. The whip tensed into a rigid lance. Jess didn't even have a chance to take a breath. Giant attacked. The instant before the tip of the whip struck her chest, it bounced to the side. Pain flashed as the whip lanced cleanly through her left arm. Jess heard the tip smack against the obelisk. Jess felt a surge of power course through her. The next thing she knew, she was lying on the tile floor. Giant looked a little shaken, but it didn't last long. He took a step towards Jess. Screaming in Spanish, Giant thrust the whip at Jess's prone form. There was a blur of motion above Jess. Billy just materialized between Jess and Giant. Giant's whip lanced through Billy's midsection. Jess watched in horror as blood quickly soaked through Billy's clothing and began to pool under him. Giant tried to yank out his whip, but Billy held it in place. Jess felt her entire body go numb. I don't think so. Billy grunted out. You're staying put. Jess watched as Billy struggled against Giant. Each tug opened the wound, spilling out more blood. How are you doing that? Screamed Giant as he tugged furiously. Billy laughed. Jess, there's a knife across the small of my back, Billy said over his shoulder. Take it. Jess gingerly drew the blade from his scabbard. It was a plain knife with a simple wooden handle. As soon as the knife was in her hands, she could feel its power. She looked angrily over at Giant. Mateo was right. It was time to finish this. Before Jess could take a step towards Giant, powerful arms encircled her. Took you long enough, Billy said to Quentin. Get her out of here. Vaya con Dios, my friend, Quentin said sadly. The two men shared a look of goodbye. Quentin lifted Jess up. No, Jess screamed as she struggled against Quentin. Billy, I won't leave you. Quentin, let go of me. Jess struggled, kicked, and bit. 
Quentin ignored it all as he stormed across the bridge. Love you, babe, Billy yelled as Quentin hauled Jess through the door. The next thing Jess heard was the explosion. This concludes another installment of the narrated story Zombie Strike by Derek Ward. Join us next time for another exciting edition of the ongoing saga. This product is protected by copyright owned by Blanchard Studios, Kenneth Blanchard, and other individuals or entities. Any production, retransmission, republication, or any other use of part or audio found on this site is expressly prohibited unless prior written permission has been granted by Kenneth Blanchard or the appropriate copyright owner. All other rights reserved. All right, that's it for this week. Thank you again for joining me. I really appreciate you. If you couldn't tell, because I just told you I loved you so many times during this show, and it's really true. You know, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important in education than money, than circumstances, than failure, than success, than what other people think or say or do. It's more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. You know, attitude will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We can't change our past. We can't change the fact that people act in a certain way. We can't change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the one string we have, and that's our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. This is from Reverend Charles Swindoll and I thought I'd just share it with you until next week this is your friend and your brother from a different mother letting you know that I love you and there's not a damn thing you can do about it don't forget to check out AmericanGunWorks.com and use the special code of Urban Shooter on your purchase and save some money Shalom, baby. Do you like Urban Shooter? Then send Ken an email at blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Do you want to support the show and start something new? You can become a member of the new Urban Shooter Association for $4 a month and keep the mission going strong. Look for the USA link on the website.